the past few weeks, we've been looking at the events that occurred on Easter Sunday along the road to Emmaus. Two weeks ago, we followed Cleopas and another disciple of Christ who were sad and discouraged as they walked down that road because Jesus had been murdered. He had been crucified, and their hope had died with him. So when a stranger suddenly began to walk with them, they didn't recognize that this was the risen Lord who walks with us through all our disappointments. Last week, we watched as the three of them sat down at the table, and when the stranger took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the men, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Finally, they recognized him as the risen Christ. It's the same for us today. Our eyes are open to recognize the risen Christ, for example, present and communing with us in the breaking of the bread in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As we sang, he is with us. He is with us. And at the moment they recognized him, Jesus vanished from their sight. Immediately, Cleopas and the other disciple got up, went back to Jerusalem, They returned to the upper room where they found everyone talking about the appearance of Jesus to Peter as well. So today's text tells us that while they were all discussing this, Jesus himself suddenly, out of nowhere, he keeps doing that, suddenly stood among them and said, Peace, peace be with you. He was alive. He was alive from the dead, and he was present right there with them. So, let's read our text for today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We'll read verses 36 through 43. Follow along as I read. This is the word of God. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. The word of the Lord. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, and he shows up with a new resurrection body. It has continuity with his old body. It's Jesus, all right, but it is significantly different from it at the same time. It is somehow supplemented. I don't really know how to talk very much about this, this resurrection body that he has and that all who trust in him will have one day. Praise God for that. I'm looking forward to that new resurrection body. Somehow this resurrection body, continuity with the old, but has somehow been supplemented. It I would put it like this, it it almost seems to be more solid than the stuff of which our current universe is made. It seems to be more solid than our present bodies 
somehow. It's so solid. The reason I say this, it's so solid that it passes through walls. Try that sometime. It's so solid that it passes through walls, like an an object that is passing through water. The more solid thing always moves through the less solid thing. I can only imagine somehow his resurrected neurons are sizzling with an energy that is just out of this world. And yet, there he is, himself, so human, so divine, so real. It's a real that's beyond what is perceived by our five senses. And it's somehow designed to be able to glory in the multidimensional pleasures of the new heavens and the new earth. And they're joined together now in him, the risen one. Well, the disciples do not know what to make of all this. They're terrified. They're terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. It's interesting to me that Cleopas and his companion had not believed that Jesus was risen from the dead because they just did not see and recognize him on the road. The rest of the disciples did not believe it because they did see and recognize him in the upper room. Some didn't and some did, but they just didn't in the upper room. They just didn't believe their own eyes. They did not believe their own eyes. So the point of that is that either way, we have to accept the fact that we all have a problem seeing and recognizing the risen Christ. Without the Spirit of God opening our eyes and opening our hearts, we're going to stumble along in fear, in disappointment, in unbelief. Our need for the presence and the power of the risen Christ in our lives is acute. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord. But wouldn't you have loved to be in that upper room when Jesus suddenly appeared? Come on, be honest. Would you have loved to be there? I would have loved to be there. (laughs) Haven't you ever thought that if you just could have seen the risen Jesus with your own eyes, man, that would take care of a lot of things. It would be so great. Then you wouldn't have to bother with all the messiness of trust and faith, of having to believe. Seeing is believing, we say. That's the expression. You'll hear it out in the world all the time. Well, seeing is believing. That means, you know, when I see it, I hear what you're saying. But when I see it, I'm going to believe it. When I see it, seeing is believing. But I wonder if that is true. I don't think we believe what we see. I think we actually see what we believe. For example, if you believe that your boss, your teacher, your spouse, your parents, your kids are not good enough, it really doesn't matter what they do. You will only see the flaws and the failures in their lives. You see what you believe. If you believe that Jesus is dead, it doesn't matter if you're looking right at him. You would still have your doubts. You see what you believe. So Jesus begins to offer some proof to his disciples that he is real. It it is he, alive from the dead. Why do doubts arise in your minds, he asks. 
Look at my hands and my feet, which still bore the marks of the nails from the cross. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. But we are told in our text that they still disbelieved. And isn't it striking that they disbelieved because of joy, because of amazement? I want us to think about joy today, specifically joy in the ordinary, or believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. Joy in the ordinary. This belief thing has never been easy. Sometimes people have a hard time believing because something terrible has happened and they wonder how a good God could allow it. But more often, I think the stumbling block to true belief is our joy. We just don't trust it. We just don't trust it. Joy seems as fleeting and unreliable as a ghost, a vapor in the wind. It's it's here, but then it's going to be gone. Every life has moments of intense joy, such as a wedding or a graduation or the day you get your first real job or the day a child is born. And every life also has moments of intense grief, such as the day a loved one dies or the day an awful disease is found in your body or the day you lose something precious to you, like your dream job or your dream house or your dream relationship. But most of our life is spent neither on the mountaintops nor in the dark valleys. Most of the time, life is spent on the flat plains of ordinary days. Your relationships are okay, your marriage is okay, your kids are okay, your job is okay, your health is okay. Your life is okay. It's in these long moments of the mundane when life is so very ordinary that a nagging voice from deep within emerges to say, you are not really happy. You are not really happy. Things are not awful. You're just vaguely dissatisfied with life. Something's missing, and somehow life just hasn't turned out as great as you had hoped. The last savior you were counting on has died, like all the others. And the familiar dreariness of the ordinary has triumphed once again. And you can cope with this discontent by working a little harder for a promotion, for more money. You can get a new house or a new apartment, do a little shopping, buy a new computer, get a new phone, get a new app for your phone. Something that carries the promise of either fixing or revving up everything. But deep in your soul, you know that you are just rearranging the mundane. If any joy comes from these things, you expect that it will be very fleeting. So, at Easter time, when the church proclaims, Jesus is risen from the dead, everything is different now. If you're honest, you're tempted sometimes to say, I just don't see it. I just don't feel it. Maybe it will help with death and the big crises of life, but what can Easter do about our greatest ongoing challenge, the the mundane routine of our daily, ordinary lives? 
Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about that too. The resurrection of Jesus is all about transforming our ordinary days into extraordinary daily moments of joy. So here's Jesus in the upper room, realizing that he's getting nowhere, trying to prove that he really was risen from the dead, that he's not a ghost, that it was pointless to keep pointing to his flesh and bones since none of the disciples were going to believe their eyes. Jesus simply shrugs and says, have you got anything to eat around here? You got anything to eat around here? At first that appears to be a non sequitur. Like, where did that come from? Why does that matter? You can imagine the disciples are now having a hard time believing not only their eyes, but their ears. He said, what? In this amazing moment, do you have have something to eat? the point of that. But someone finds a leftover piece of broiled fish, so Jesus sits down and eats dinner in their presence. It says, in their presence. If you're like me, I tend to do a flyby on Bible verses like that. You know, I tend to rush right by a verse like that to get to the good stuff, right? To get to the meat of things. But this is anything but a throwaway verse. This is actually one of the great goals of the resurrection. An ordinary event. A dinner of broiled fish, so common, so ordinary, has just been transformed by the presence of the risen Savior in their midst. You see it? Now, if you had just arrived at someone's house for dinner, and the hostess said, we're having broiled fish tonight, you might think, okay, that's a lot better than Spam. (laughs) I like broiled fish well enough, but it's not exactly a five-star dining experience. That is exactly the point. It's ordinary. It's plain. It's every day. It's where we live and what we do every day. And that is precisely what our risen Savior blesses by making it the original Easter meal, the ordinary. The ordinary becomes the extraordinary by his presence, the risen one, and it's full of joy. So as the risen Savior wishes to, uh, washes down a bite of fish with a sip of wine, he says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms has been fulfilled. We're going to look at that next week. But for now, I just want to say he probably said that as he pulled a fishbone out of his mouth. It's very ordinary. You see, we cannot limit the work of Christ to what we typically regard as matters of the Spirit. It is also about the flesh and bone stuff of real, ordinary, everyday life. When Jesus appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were opened through the sacramental act of Jesus breaking and blessing and giving them bread. But when he appears to the rest of the disciples in this upper room, their their eyes were opened uh, by what you could call, and I'm probably making up a word here, what you could call the sacramentalizing of a common, ordinary meal. 
if you believe, you too would see that his presence with you makes everything holy, as holy as the Lord's Supper we celebrate together every month. People speak these days about the difference between things that are secular and sacred. Church, they claim, is sacred, and work is secular. Maybe we even like to maintain these distinctions because it's more convenient for us to live differently at work than we do at church. But the Bible knows no such distinction. It claims that the whole world belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. The Lord is its creator. And now in Christ, he's redeemed all things, and he is the one in whom all things hold together. So the biblical distinction is not between secular and sacred, but rather between sacred and profane. All things have a sacred purpose, but anything sacred can be profaned by distorting its purpose and misusing it. You can profane a word. You can profane sexuality. You can profane money. You can profane work. You can profane marriage. You can profane family. You can profane ministry. Or you can see their holy purpose in the hands of God. And I think that there is nothing more profane than removing the ordinary from the resurrection power and purposes of the risen Christ. Do not limit the work of Christ to matters of the Spirit. Because the bodily resurrection of Christ affirms that spirit and body, joy and routine, miracle and ordinary can never be separated. The bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead affirms that Jesus cares about bodies. Your body matters to him. Jesus cares about bodies, bodies that do not work right, bodies that need exercise, bodies that are hungry, bodies that are homeless, bodies that are tortured, and the bodies of those who are all alone and feel like they are a nobody. It's all a spiritual issue. It's all a spiritual issue. So are all of your routines. If eating a piece of plain old broiled fish is a sacramental spiritual event because the risen Christ is with us, then there's nothing in the world that is void of the presence of Christ or untouched by his nail-scarred resurrection hands. So, when mothers spend their days in minivans, running errands. Not that anybody has to do that, right? When mothers spend their days in minivans, running errands, Christ is present in the minivan. If you believed that, you would see it. Believing is seeing. If you saw it, it would change your perspective and bring you joy. He's with me. He's in the back seat of the car as you fulfill your countless boring errands. If you saw him there, your errands would become a holy pilgrimage. The ordinary would become extraordinary because Jesus is going with you. He's along for the ride to the grocery store. Jesus is with parents who spend their days taking care of the huge demands of small children. 
He is with you as you wipe little noses, clean bleeding knees, and continue your work till you fall asleep exhausted at the end of another long, ordinary day full of the mundane. If you see that, it will change your perspective and bring you joy. Believing is seeing. Jesus is with students who knock themselves out to get the grades and the degree. He is there. He is with you as you trudge off to the library, as you sit in class after class, when you stay up all night writing that paper or trying to get that lab to work or cramming for the exam, or when you call home and explain to your parents about changing your major again, if you see that, it will change your perspective and bring you joy. Believing is seeing. He is with single adults who feel as if their dating life has gone AWOL. The risen Christ is with you when you feel there is no love to be found. He is with you when you fall in love and make a commitment. He is with you if that commitment to love fails and you don't want to go on or try again. He is with you. He is with you when you have a terrible argument, saying things you wish you could take back hearing things you wish you could forget, if you see that, it will change your perspective and bring you joy. Believing is seeing. Jesus is with those who go to the office or the factory to work. He is waiting for you there. He got to work before you did. He knows all about your boring business meetings because he is there in the conference room. He knows all about the boring repetition of your tasks in the warehouse or the store because he's standing there with you. The question is, do you see him? Are you even expecting him? Are you looking for him at work? He is with you. He is with you when you trudge home exhausted at the end of a long work day, only to confront another long list of duties on the home front. But if you see that, it will change your perspective and bring you joy. Believing is seeing. He is with you in every flesh and bone reality you face. That is why Luke told us that when Jesus was crucified, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world was ripped apart from top to bottom, as if to proclaim clearly that God did the ripping. God did the ripping from top to to bottom. And it was so the holiness of God could rush out into all of life, bringing joy to all of life, claiming all of it is holy in his presence. If you see that, it will change your perspective and bring you joy. Believing is seeing. I think children understand this much better than adults do because we have not yet starved all of the mystery out of the world for them. In a child's world, an ugly duckling can become a swan. An unwanted stepsister can become a princess. And a frog, a frog can become a prince. You just never know. You have to kiss him to find out. (laughs) Do you see? The risen Christ has kissed the ordinary and the mundane, transforming them into beauty and joy, restoring the mysterious, holy presence 
of the living God to all of life. Believing is seeing. And it is then that we can start to cry out from the heart, along with the angels, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. Would you say that with me? Just call it out. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. This means anything can happen. With a God who raises the dead, anything is possible. Not even the routine is routine anymore. (laughs) This means the secret to living in the ordinary is not to try to climb out of it for fleeting moments of happiness, but rather to find abiding joy in the mystery that lies within the ordinary when Jesus is there. The secret to finding that mystery after Easter is not that much of a secret at all. It is there in plain view if you believe it. If you believe it, you will see it. Believing is seeing. The crucified Savior, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, is with you. Do you know what that means? That means there is forgiveness for you in every sinful failing. There is mercy for you in every moment. The blood of Christ cleanses you from every sin. He is with you. That means there is holiness in the mess. We know our lives are a mess in many ways. There's holiness in the mess. There's joy in the ordinary. There's resurrection in the routine. But you have to choose to believe that if you want to see it. If you want to see Jesus alive and with you and at work right where you are, you have to choose to believe it because believing is seeing. Amen? Amen. Let's spend some time in prayer as we do at the end of every worship service. It's good to have some quiet moments to reflect have a conversation with God. And on the way to prayer, I want to encourage you to think back to where we've come the the past few weeks on the road to Emmaus. Remember, we started on the road of discouragement, uh, broken dreams, hope destroyed. And along the way, Jesus joined us, patiently walking and talking with us and leading us to the point of being able to recognize him as our crucified Savior and risen Lord. So now, today, we see that he's with us in everything, all the time, if we will believe it, because believing is seeing. So this means nothing in your life is ordinary anymore. Every mundane thing is holy. No broken thing in your life is meaningless or random or wasted anymore. Not when the risen Christ is with you and holds everything, everything in his hand. There is joy to be found, joy for you, joy to be experienced in everything in your life. So I want to play a song for you and ask you to just listen to these words and let them wash through you and then spend some time just responding in prayer, having that conversation.
Sometimes we are away. 